Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Jonathan Rosenberg. Jonathan achieved a PhD in computer science from Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, after which he went on to become the first CTO of CNET, one of the first successful internet startups. In 1999, after his beloved cat, Tabby was diagnosed with terminal cancer. He resigned his position to devote his life to saving cats in Tabby's memory. Tabby's Place, a cat sanctuary, opened in 2003 and is a 7,000-square-foot cage-free facility designed to save cats from hopeless situations. The staff and volunteers have programs for both domestic and community cats served by an in-house medical facility. At any time, there are approximately 110 cats housed at Tabby's Place, about one-third of which have special needs such as cancer, diabetes, heart disease, or paraplegia. Jonathan, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Oh, thank you, Stacey. It's kind of you to have me. Where is Tabby's Place located? Well, we are in Ringo's, New Jersey, which is a tiny town. It's actually kind of a rural area. In New Jersey, we're about maybe 20 minutes north of Trenton, New Jersey, not far from the Pennsylvania border. Before you had your cat, Tabby, were you always a cat lover? Did you have a passion for cats before you had her? No, you know, I was always an animal lover. I was actually a dog person as a child. When I was three years old, I got my first dog and really liked dogs better, frankly. But when I got married, after about a year, my wife and I were talking about getting a pet, and I assumed we would get a dog. She assumed we would get a cat. We were going back and forth, and one day when I came home... There was a little cat sitting outside our front step and a bunch of food out there. And I went inside and said, why is this cat there? And she said, well, you know, he came out of the woods and he was hungry. And I said, look, animals are always hungry. It doesn't mean anything. He's fine. He wasn't injured. He wasn't emaciated. So I said, you know, don't feed him because he's just going to keep showing up. I forgot about it. The next day I came home, because we were still discussing whether to get a cat or a dog. And the next day when I came home, he wasn't there. So I thought, good. And when I went inside the house, he was in the living room, sleeping on the couch. And I said, what's he doing here? And she said, well, he came in, he screamed for food, and after he had eaten, he jumped up on the couch and went to sleep. So I went in to throw him out, but when I got in there, I just couldn't do it. So we kept him. That turned out to be Tabby. He really turned me into a cat person. We had him about 16 years and then we, I found out one day that he had terminal cancer, um, squamous cell carcinoma in his cheek. It's, uh, most cat lovers are familiar with it because it's very common. There's nothing you can do about it once it's in the bone. He had a few months to live. It just changed everything for me. I decided to do something in his memory. I was on the phone with my boss one day. I was the first CTO of an Internet startup. We were successful. I loved my job. Frankly, I was not thinking of quitting as a computer scientist. I love what I did. But I was on the phone with him one day, and all of a sudden, I just knew it. I realized I was going to resign and do something in his memory. And a few months later, that's what I did. 
you mentioned the word something. You were going to do something in his memory. So you didn't have a real knowledge of what the state of cats were in New Jersey at that time, really? No, not no, not exactly. I mean, I, I knew I wanted to do something for... He was FIV positive, we found out later. So I knew how people felt in general about FIV, especially at the time. So I thought, you know, I want to do something for the cats that no one wanted. And then it took me a little while to figure it out, but not very long. I knew I wanted a place for initially domestic cats. And I thought I w- the cats that no one else wants. And I knew that I knew that I wasn't going to be able to make decisions based on money. You know, I wasn't going to be able to say, well, here's a cat who has cancer. We can't do anything for him, so we're going to put him down. So I realized early on that I was going to have to be able to give them the medical care they wanted, and that's really what led to Tabby's Place, where we don't make decisions based on money. We do whatever's in a cat's best interest, regardless of cost. Going into greater detail about Tabby's Place, so Tabby's Place is really it's a sanctuary for many special needs cats that need you know personal attention. In our pre-interview chat, you use the phrase personal connection. How many cats are you able to assist in this way on an annual basis? And what were sort of some of the lessons learned if there was someone else interested in creating such an organization, you know, in another part of the country? Sure. So a few things. In terms of number of cats per year, I need to separate out some domestic versus community cats. So let me just start with, and I'll get to community cats. That's a program that started about four or five years ago. But for domestic cats, it's about 120 cats a year, and they come from a variety of sources. For the last few years, they've mostly come from surrounding areas. We work with animal control. Sometimes when people die, we have programs where they can arrange to have their cats come here. And then sometimes we'll take cats who we just know no one else is going to be able to deal with. We have paraplegics, cats with certain very strange diseases and we'll care for them here. So at the current time, for example, we have two paraplegics. And we care for them here. We do try to adopt them out. We've adopted out several paraplegics over the years, for example. So again, it's about 120 a year. In terms of lessons, unfortunately, the most important lesson is money. So the truth is people, I get fairly often mail or calls from people who say that, you know, they're helping lots of cats on their own, it's costing them a lot, no surprise, and they want to know, you know how they can start a nonprofit in order to be able to deduct their expenses, et cetera, and you can certainly do that. The problem is getting started is very expensive. So doing something like this costs a lot of money. I was fortunate to have it because of the startup I was involved in. For the last eight years, Tabby's Place has raised enough money from the public to support ourselves, but it required funding from my wife and I for the first five years to get going, you know, diminishing amounts each year, of course. So I think the lesson, the most important lesson is don't get in over your head, you know, so you have to know what you can afford. And of course, the truth is we say no all the time to requests to take cats because we have to know what our limits are. I think the other piece of that is, and you haven't asked about this yet, but since we started dealing with community cats, The numbers have changed because most of those cats get returned to the location they came from, and so the numbers have increased greatly, you know, well beyond 120 a year. 
So you are now working on specific trap new to return areas in and around your area or we are. Yeah, we are so efforts? Yeah, so we do it well, I don't know about I could say we do it differently than everyone because obviously every place does it differently, but what we've decided to do is a very kind of personalized, hands on approach. So let me back up for a minute and tell you how it started. Because we we make a very personal connection with every cat. When we started thinking about community cats, it just seemed very messy because they don't have names. I mean, you can give them names, of course, but they kind of often seem like it's just a bunch of cats. They go back outside. What happens if they get sick? Who's monitoring them, etc.? They're not usually very friendly. So it just seemed too messy to deal with. And we also felt uncomfortable with putting cats outside and, and not knowing what happened to them. But then one of our employees one day when she was driving in said, you know, I passed this barn that looks like it's falling down and there's a bunch of cats there. So we went and looked. We actually inquired. We found the owner. It turns out the owner had died. The brother was taking care of the place and said, yeah, there's these cats there. And in the next few months, we're going to sell the property. The cats have to go. So we kind of started feeding them and worrying about them. And, I, you know, going there and feeding them, I looked at them. I said, you know, these are really the same cats we have. They just... They just don't like people, but they're the same cats. So we started trapping them, bringing them in, sterilizing them, and we had to relocate them because they couldn't stay there. A few of them turned out to be friendly enough to keep. A few of them were injured and they couldn't go back out, so we kept them. And that kind of started us getting involved. And so what we started doing was kind of a controlled job of trapping in our area. It's all hands-on. We do work with other local groups, but it's always with us directly. We target locally colonies. We trap them, sterilize them, put them back out. They get medical care. I mean, I don't know how many groups do it, but if their teeth are bad, they get, they get a dental before they go back out. Yep. Of course, yep. they get ear tipped. They get vaccinated. And we monitor them. Either we monitor them directly or the caretaker monitors them. If new uh, members show up or someone looks injured, we go out and get them and care for them. And they all get microchipped. That way we can also track them. Sometimes, of course, we end up keeping them if we have, sometimes we find one too injured to go back out. Once in a while, we actually get one who's injured who comes back and for some reason has become friendly and gets adopted. It's a strange thing, but we've had a few come back who, strange foot injuries, and for some reason they're now friendly and they end up getting adopted. They couldn't go back out and they decided to become friendly, which is great. So they get adopted. So when you relocated some of those cats, they've gone to relocated to barns or mostly to barns. Yeah, it turns out to be very difficult. I'm not surprisingly, even though we're in a fairly rural area, because we need to find a place where there's a barn or a similar structure, it can't be near a road, and the person has to at least be willing to feed them. They don't have to obviously go out there and try to take care of them, but we do need them to be able to feed them. And so we find them. It takes time. And of course, if they're here for too long, sometimes when they're too old or they become too acclimated to being inside, they get too heavy sometimes and we realize we just can't put them back outside. But we've been, uh, those cats we managed to relocate or a few of them we kept, they were old or just became friendly enough to keep. I mean, it's our preference to keep them inside if we can, but the truth is, as I'm sure you realize, some of them just don't like people and they don't want to be inside. And even though, right. I guess, from a statistics point,
point of view, their lifespans may be shorter. They're going to be happier. If it were me, I'd rather have a shorter, happier life. So if we can find a reasonably safe place, we'll put them outside. And our vet and a few other people have taken them onto their property when, when we can do that, too. So. We have to make these choices for cats, and it's unfortunate yeah. we don't get their feedback on this. But you No, know, we don't, we although because we, we keep track of them, we do see them every so often, you know, yep. not always great. Every once in a while, of course, one gets hit by a car or something, but we do get them back every so often, and like I say, surprisingly enough, some of them come back friendly. I'm not quite sure whether they realize they're injured and it's time to become friendly, but it happens. So, you know, it's always nice to see them again, actually. We had two from two different colonies came back with a very weird foot disease cats get called pillow foot, and there were these big, honking, gray, tough-looking cat, and they both had become incredibly friendly, and they both got adopted very quickly because everyone loves a tomcat with a huge head, and, and they were very friendly. It was great. They were just, they were the best cats, and they looked tough, but they were very sweet. So, yeah. very nice. Just mentioned also, we found in one case a five-year-old female who was blind and missing half of a leg, and apparently she'd been living outside for five years that way, but obviously we couldn't put her back outside, so we kept her. She ended up getting adopted. She was you know, friendly enough that uh, she could get adopted, so that was also nice. And, of course, kittens kittens we always keep because they're going to eventually come around. So Right, so even if you get sort of the, the tiny tigers, you work with socializing. Yeah, yeah, you know, once in a while they don't come around, but most of the time they do, and we just keep them because you figure at that age their, their mortality rate's going to be too high. The Community Cats podcast will soon be a year old, with over 200 episodes profiling amazing people who are all making a difference in the lives of community cats. If you would like to support the show, but not be a sponsor, feel free to contribute to our efforts by going to www.communitycatspodcast.com and follow the donate link. Help us to continue to provide excellent programming. Are you new to the Community Cats podcast? Don't know what to listen to first? Feel free to check out the listening module tab where we have grouped shows together by topic so you can listen to a bunch of shows around the same topic. Just click on the listening module tab at www.communitycatspodcast.com and enjoy learning about community cats. When you created Abby's Place, I'm just curious why you decided to use the word cat sanctuary or the word sanctuary in particular. I've had several people come to me over the years and say, you know, the answer to our problem, Stacy, is a cat sanctuary. We just need more of them and that would resolve all of our cat overpopulation problems. Hmm. I don't know if, if that's a direction that you were thinking or what did Cat Sanctuary do you you thought of that you know, name? So that's a good question. So I don't know that I would ever think that a sanctuary would cure the problems. I would think sterilization facility might cure the problems. But the sanctuary, I think of a sanctuary more like a safe place for cats where, you know, once a cat enters here, it's safe in the sense that that's what I was thinking of is even if they were unwanted or found on the street or injured or something, that they would a cat here would never be euthanized unless it was sick or suffering and there was no reasonable hope of recovery. So we would never euthanize a cat for just for age or disease or money or space or for being ugly or mean. I mean, God knows we have plenty of ugly and or mean cats here. So that was my thought. I mean, the truth is, of course, that for a facility this size, the difference we make in terms of numbers is 
negligible, of course. You know, for any individual cat, of course, it's huge. But in terms of numbers, it's obviously negligible. I mean, even we're probably approaching 2,300 cats or something, which in many ways is great. But given the numbers, it's negligible. So, no, I was really thinking of it more like a sanctuary, like a church or a sanctuary in that kind of sense, a safe place for a cat that no one would want. But you even have admitted that you're limited by your resources and space constraints. Yeah, it's money, and of course it's also space. And, you know, chances of making a dent in total numbers, small. I mean, there are, of course, potentially ways. You know, here's the thing is I really did want to be hands-on. If you have a chunk of money, there's lots of ways to make a difference. But I really wanted to be hands-on, you know, myself. So I still... Despite the fact that, of course, I run the place twice a week. I do rounds myself where we medicate cats and that kind of thing and clean cages and stuff because I really do want to be hands-on myself and and do a lot of the work. So that was my choice to do that because there's lots of ways to help. And and Tabby's Place is not about the numbers, although obviously the more cats we help, the better. But if you want to help more cats then it doesn't make sense to pay thousands of dollars to save a cat, right? Because those thousands of dollars could have presumably saved more cats. So you're able to think from that, there's a one cat at a time, I should say, that personal connection. I had this problem, or not problem, but it's a challenge when you're at the, yeah. you know, when I was at the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society, we would even have board meetings about, well, do we set a dollar limit on the amount of money yeah, that we're going yeah, to put yeah. into one cat? I understand and, you know, that. It got, it got thrown off the table because we just we couldn't. We couldn't. We said, we'll find a different alternative. At some point in some places, I don't fault anyone for it. I can't do it. It was one of the things that kept us out of community cats for a while, but we finally decided that we would bite the bullet. And if it started to become a problem, we'd cut back. So far, it hasn't in the sense that potentially, of course, the more colonies we have out there, the more potential there is for expense in terms of caring for them, but so far it hasn't become a problem. The truth is they've been cheaper to care for because, you know, a sterilization is fairly cheap, and then at least so far there's not been very many expensive injuries. Now maybe it's because they're not making or whatever, but so far at least it's not been a, a burden. The Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society created what's called the Captain Courageous Fund, which is a special fund for injured feral cats. And we thought that the cost of the cats was going to be very high because it was yeah. take care of the cats on our in a specific area where we had 300 cats on the Newburyport waterfront. We thought we would have all these medical needs for them as they aged, but it really wasn't as expensive as we had anticipated, and so now the fund is able to help other injured feral cats all across Massachusetts. But we do have a specially designated fund so that then if there is a feral cat that is injured that is in need, there are some resources available there. You know, it's interesting because we have a fund for, essentially for special needs cats, and we have to pay for specialty vet care, which is fairly expensive for us. But we have one of the things we found early on when we started trying to raise money for ferals was the overlap between donors for domestic cats and ferals was not as great as we expected. It seems like they may be two different classes of people, strangely enough. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you found mm-hmm. that. There's a core of folks that really support that Captain Courageous Fund. Many of them were part of our early roots of our organization, which was founded on the feral cat colony. And so they 
it's a way for them to continue to give even beyond the fact that there are no more cats on that waterfront. So they're able to still assist, you know, another feral cat in another area. So there is, I think, some history that goes into keeping that fund going. And then we have had some foundation support to our designated funds. We also have another fund for special medical care for owned cats. And we've gotten quite a bit of foundation support on that one. So that's been nice. But, you know, we're turning into a fundraising conversation here. And I think fundraising is very, very important. I used to tell the trappers that I was working with, for every one trapper that was out there working with community cats and and bringing in cats into the adoption center and stuff, I needed four people fundraising for them. It is very important. And, And the Community Cats podcast has what's called the Community Cats Grants Program working with small organizations to do a new and unique type of fundraiser. They can fundraise up to $1,000 for spay neuter, and a foundation will match that $1,000. So they will end up getting $2,000 to help people get started on a a new fundraising initiative that they've never tried before. And I'm sure as you started, you had to try new things to get going with fundraising. Would you have any fundraising tips for folks that are of smaller organizations? Well, one thing that's interesting about, I think about community cats is that individuals, I think, can make a big impact on their own. So, for example, New Jersey is a fairly expensive place to live, but there are still very, very cheap spay-neuter programs around here, even from local vets who, you know, are relatively expensive. They still do, uh, there's a vet nearby that does one day a week very cheap spay-neuter. So... There's a lot of individuals in the area that can make a big impact on their own. You know, you don't need a big organization. You can go to a local rescue who can probably lend you a trap for free. We certainly do, and I think most do. You can go trap a few cats if they're on your property or a business nearby, ask them if it's okay, get them sterilized, and put them back outside. It'll cost you very little. A lot of places have vouchers. It's not quite the question you asked, but I think it's an area where individuals can make a huge impact, especially because... The community cats are often so spread around that it's hard to get a handle on them. But as you know, every few cats that you sterilize makes such a huge difference in terms of the ultimate numbers. It makes such a big difference, especially because there's so many people who seem to be willing to do very cheap spay-neuter. And otherwise, you know, instead of spending 300 bucks, you can get it done often for 50 bucks or less. So it's, it's important making- to check what resources you have. In an expensive area, there's very, very cheap resources for getting cats sterilized, and it makes a big difference. You can just do it yourself, put them back, and you've made a big difference on the environment right there. So, Jonathan, if folks are interested in finding out more about Tabby's Place, how would they find your organization? Well, easiest thing, www.tabbysplace.org. Tabby's Place is all one word, no punctuation, of course. That's the easiest thing to do. We have a website with lots of information there. You can look around, get a virtual tour of the facility, see what we're about, see all of our adoptable cats. You can sponsor special needs cats. We have a lot of special needs cats, many of whom you can take a look at. We also have a number of other programs people can look at. We have a program that we just started recently, which is actually a lot of fun, where young children come in and read to our cats which is actually amazingly cute to see how the cats, I mean, the cats are getting attention. The kids, of course, think the cats like to hear the stories, but the cats are just very interested in getting attention from the kids. But it's cute to see the kids reading to them. So we're going to start something for seniors soon where 
they can come in and or we can take the cats to them. So people can come and learn about all that stuff and sponsor a cat if they'd like, or if nothing else, just look around. And is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Well, I would just say, since we're talking about community cats, if there are stray cats in your area, help them out. I mean, obviously, you can always donate to a shelter in your area. We'd love it if you donate to Tabby's Place. But, you know, what I always tell people, sometimes people come in and say, oh, you know, we adopted a cat from somewhere nearby. We're sorry. And I say, don't be sorry. If you help a cat somewhere, we're happy. So help a cat near you. If there's a stray in your area, help it out. If you can trap some cats, if there's a grocery store or place near you, go and ask them if they mind having the cats there. If they don't, trap them, get them sterilized, and put them back outside. It's a way of helping cats. If you help a cat anywhere, you're helping us, and everyone's happy. Jonathan, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show, and I hope we'll have you on in the future. Oh, anytime, Stacey. Thank you. Does your organization not have a clear vision of what its goals and objectives are? Does it seem like everyone on your board has a different idea of what you should be doing and how to do it? Well, I can help you with a visioning workshop. I offer affordable, quick and painless strategic planning services for a small organization. I can even offer my services virtually. Are you interested? Just reach out to me at Stacy, S-T-A-C-Y, at communitycatspodcast.com.